and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Number 46 this week, um, ever close 47. to the half century. Is it 47? 47. Oh, Christ. Lost or even count, closer than man, I thought. Eh? Look, he has his birthday <laughs> yesterday. He's already lost 10 brain cells. He's that much closer to death. I'm a year close to 30. A year off 30 now, unfortunately. Jesus. Middle age soon. That curly hair will start falling out. So it goes downhill from there. So if if my life is almost over at this point, how many years has it been since your life ended? At least a couple. (laughs) So a bit of a harsh question, I suppose, to start. How long has it felt like it's ended? About twenty-five years. I have an interesting story for you. We have spoken once before about this when you previously left me and went a whole day and we did the episode with Mark. I know that you're massively into swinging, Ian. Uh, have you <laughs> yeah. seen the comments of Sean O'Malley this week? I have not. Okay, so Sean O'Malley and his wife, Dania Gonzalez, have revealed all this week in regards to their open relationship. He's one of the biggest stars in the UFC at the moment. He is preparing for his first bantamweight title shot against Sterling at 292. And alongside his successful MMA career, he also runs his own YouTube channel. Uh, It's it's certainly worth a a quick gander if you haven't seen it before. But he has recently sat down with his wife to answer some fan questions. And during the video, he addressed the open relationship that he has with his wife. Many fans have, have questioned it and... Just a little bit curious. I mean, I'm curious about how it works, but curious about how relationship dynamic works in that situation. This is the quote that he gave. You're going to love this. We listen. We listen to podcasts, learned about the relationships and growing so we could figure out what relationship works for us. I'm horny all the time, and it's not just for you, pointing at his wife. It took us years to get past that. We're just telling me truth. Now, the question is, can you imagine ever turning around to your missus and being like, I fancy it all the time, but I'll be honest, not always with you, someone else. So can I just bang anyone else I want <laughs> whenever? Essentially, I, I, can't but... imagine, I can't imagine that conversation goes that well nine times out of ten, to be honest with you. I feel like you've got a, you've definitely got a keeper if the, if the, <laughs> the, the one time out of ten's like, do you know what, that's a fucking excellent idea. I think you should, that's exactly what you should do. But clearly she's agreed to it. Mrs. Gonzalez, or Miss Gonzalez, I should say, on How the prerequisite. Miss Gonzalez, if she's married to him, you said wife. So oh, I did, didn't I? Girlfriend. Sorry, I, I suppose. I don't know how it works. Do you still have Mrs. if you haven't changed your name? No. Yeah, you're Mrs. Even if you still miss name. If you're Mrs. If it's Miss, then she, they're not married. Because otherwise, surely she'd be Mrs. O'Malley. She could be Miss. We're a very uh, progressive society these days. She, she could, but it uh, sounds like you've made it up for a start picking holes in your story. That sounds like a girlfriend, I've, not I've a wife. Made up a, I've made up a title. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what uh, what she goes by. I can only apologise. I call her Danya. We're on first name basis, clearly. But evidently, he's come to his wife, uh, see, and said this, and then she's turned around and been like, yeah, no problem, but I'm going to bang some other people as well. Are you all right with that? She, so, but I, is, is what, so he comes back, says this, and he goes to his wife, pictorially, I want you to represent whether or not this is okay. She goes upstairs, she comes down dressed as a pineapple. <laughs> An upside down pineapple, obviously. And I'm sorry, he's upside a down stand. pineapple. And he's like, yeah! 
Or she goes upstairs, walks back downstairs with his best friend. So I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah, if only you knew how long <laughs> this has been an only relationship, Sean. You, you need to catch up. But um, uh, interesting good luck to topics. Yeah. Good luck um, to good old sugar. Whatever works for people, you know. UFC Fight Night Jacksonville took place this weekend. We had gone out on the Saturday, done a little bit of an escape room. Did it smash the time, didn't we? Just about got the record. Not quite, but just about. And came back, completely forgot that this was on at an appropriate time for UK audiences. I think it was on about 10 or 11, the main event. It must have been about 11, because I reckon we didn't get back to about half, half 10, 10, quarter to 11. Yeah, and then I sent you a message saying, just turned UFC on, main event starting. And, you're like, and that was like right. while I was still driving home, like, fuck, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting my missus to drive home. I'm um, going to say, correct that as well. Just You didn't have loads of pints and drive home. It was indeed his missus. But you it, made it that fairly... sound super ropey there. Like, that's yeah, just a lie. It. It, was, it actually was my missus that drove home because I, <laughs> I had a load of pints. So it was all right. But it was really one-sided. It's probably one of the most one-sided main event I've seen all year if not for the last couple of years. Um, Taporia absolutely smashed through Josh Emma. We, I mean, I, I posted, not we, posted on the Twitter page just before the main event had started saying that I thought it'd be a knockout in the third round for Taporia. I don't know, he didn't knock him out. I'll be honest, he, he absolutely smashed through him all the way through the fight. Really impressive uh, durability from Emma because, yeah, he just got smashed. Um say incredibly one-sided um i mean i'd I'd never seen one of the judges that gave it uh, 50 42 which i don't think i've ever seen before which must is like three 10 8 rounds so um that's pretty crazy but um he was pretty bold after tapura which as much as i like him and he's um that's definitely his his, his signature uh victory and is you know over number five in the league goes straight ahead and calls out volk which is uh Pretty bold move. I mean, everyone's always, you know, after the after the champ, and he's always got a target on his back. But that feels like a bit of a um, a jump in levels for him at this stage of his career. If he thinks he can take on Volk now, so a separate topic. You said earlier on it's episode forty-seven. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not. It's episode forty-six. Knew I won't go mad. So confused how, now. How, how have I just like made up notes ahead of myself then? Because you're going senile. Okay, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take your word for it, but I was positive I, I've got here 47. Um, but yeah, it would appear it is 46. Okay, you're right. My apologies. Would, could you like to just apologize to the viewers as well? Uh, I'm sorry, viewers, for being a cunt. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think Volk smashes him. Going back to Tapuria, I agree. I think it's it's always fun to see a bit of boldness, a bit of braveness. But I think once Volk dispatches Rodriguez on uh, July the 8th, I'd like to see this one as the next one. I don't want to see him go back up in weight. I just want him to see defend his, his title again. And I think that would put the hammer down in terms of... It's clearly the best at his weight and, you know, go from there at that point. Yeah, I just think personally he's a bit... I mean, he's young enough so he could rebound from a loss, but I think it's a bit early for me for Japura. 
You know, he was ranked number nine coming into this and he's, he's beat Emmett at five. So he'll probably at least take his spot or move up the rankings. I just feel that if he really wanted the best um, opportunity at Volk, really, and you were looking at it purely from the competitive side, you'd maybe, you know, let's say he goes up to six or seven in the rankings, you'd want to maybe take on number three, number two. Give him all away. like that, um, just to, to get the extra experience. I just think otherwise Volk just blows him away. But... At his age, he's 26. He can recover from a from a loss uh, to the champ, and there's no shame in that. But I just think it's too early for him personally. I think he needs a bit more. Like I say, I, I, I'd give him Holloway. I'd give him Holloway in Spain. Yep, yeah, Holloway is a perfect. You know, again, that you know to beat. You know, Volk. If he beats Holloway, he deserves a shot of Volk. But that that's yeah. the kind of next step up in in quality that you're talking about. That is is a that's a big step from Emmett to Holloway. You know that in itself, that's that's a whole whole another level. So um, I think you're right, but it's going to be a while anyway before it would happen, even if it was going to happen. Because I did see that both Emma and Tapura got indefinite medical suspensions. So that basically means no contact sparring for for the foreseeable future until they get uh, appropriate clearance from a doctor. So I think it's usually like CT scans to do of the head, or if it's a Something's you know broken a wrist when that's healed, etc. But basically, until the doctors clear them, then neither of them can even train properly. Really, how long does that usually take, or is it just sort of pie in the sky? I mean, it completely depends. I think they haven't in this. From what I saw, they hadn't released the reason. They they often give you um, MMA fighting is really good at this, but they didn't on this occasion give you what the person suspended for. And like a likely time scale, so it might say like suspended for a broken nose, uh, surgery expected, likely to be out for two months, something like that. But uh, on these, I didn't see them, so I don't actually even know what they were suspended for. I mean, Emma obviously took an absolute battering, and his face was was blooded up. So I imagine for him, it would certainly be the the, the head trauma as well as probably whatever cuts he's got uh, on his face. Um, um, Tapura didn't look particularly damaged. I don't recall seeing anything on him, his face, you know, gushing of blood or anything else. So I was a little bit more surprised that he was included in that as well. But he must have something like dinged up ribs, maybe, you know, injured elbow, something like that, arm from 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 a punch or an elbow. So um, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, certainly won't be happening. Him, Volk, is not like one of those that's going to be turned around in a couple of months. Um, I would have thought it would be out for a three, four months minimum, something like that. Episode five of the Ultimate Fighter 31 aired this week. It was uh, eventually a matchup for Brad Katona and Carlos Vera. I I don't know how much I can watch of this anymore. It It's all very one-sided. Um, Katona beat Vera, and I'm sure you'll we'll talk through it again in, in just a second, but it's making a bit of a mockery of their entire prospects versus veterans. And I haven't watched Ultimate Fighter before this. I think from what you said, this is a new format, so they don't normally do veterans versus prospects, but I don't think they'll do it again, Ian. No, it's not, it's not quite working out. I think like they thought that, you know, that you're going to get a... 50-50 split of the, you know, the hungry young wolves laying out the old boys and some of the old boys pulling it out of the bag. But, um, I mean, 
first comments I had is, I mean, that Brad is a pretty strange dude, isn't it? Like, he was, <laughs> he is a bit like, of a strange like, guy. Like, when he was talking to the camera and some of it, you're like, you, you're, you, you're a, you're a weird kind of a dude, really. But um, he also looked, I thought, very, very impressive in terms of his skills watching him train. And I made a few notes that actually, so he originally fought on UFC two, th- uh, two, three, one, and one. Um, he then uh, fought on a fight night uh, and lost, and then fought for also on fight night one five eight and lost a really close split decision, and then got cut. So he's got genuine um, UFC experience. He's actually won. I didn't realize this. The Ultimate Fighter before. Yeah. Uh, so he could be the first person to ever win it twice. Um, and he looked looked very impressive, I thought, in training. Um, the other guy, Carlos Vera, I mean, um, the only thing, I mean, he looked okay in, in training, if you ask me, he looked pretty good. Dana White bigged him up quite a little bit and said that he'd been on the, the cusp and the UFC's kind of radar for for a while, and he was on a, a 4-0 uh, mini win streak. So that kind of made me think, all oh, right, you know, Maybe there's this is this is going to be a bit more even, or uh, the you know the the young guns going to have a bit more and be a, uh, an unexpected foe. But as the fight wise went, it was I thought pretty clear to nil to Katona personally. Yeah, and I would say that this I think you disagree with me on this, but I would say that this wasn't as close as last week's. Uh, I thought it were a competitive fight. Uh, it was a close decision because I thought Vera had his moments and he, he, there were a couple of slick reversals that he did, but Katona just smothered him, controlled him throughout. And obviously Chandler's now in a 5-0 lead. Yeah, I mean, the first round in particular, he kind of controlled him. Um, he made it look pretty easy. He was on top for a bit. He rained some big knees. Um, he did also get his back um, and threatened with a rear naked choke. Um, so there was, there was that aspect as well. Um, second round I've, uh, I've met, I've sort of said about it before. I thought he was very good Katona at stealing that round. I actually thought that round was pretty close, but within a minute or so, uh, towards the end, Katona kind of grabbed him, took him down, looked quite active on his back. And, and as you say, that would definitely what I would class in my mind as, as round stealing, I think that's that kind of final moment that sticks in the judge's mind, and I think it was probably that to me that that stole it for it to go to two nil. If if Carlos had maybe kept him off and kept it standing for that last minute, it could have easily gone his way and and might have gone to a third uh, deciding round. Yeah, and McGregor being McGregor marched into the ring, didn't he? After uh, I think you quite liked his little swagger. And his ring walk. Oh, yeah. Has anyone got any bigger balls than Conor then when he walks in? I mean, if I can walk in, like he literally has the world's biggest dick and owns everything, didn't he? He just has Typic- that swagger. Typical McGregor. His... Oh, but I thought that like that, that's as, that's as McGregor walk as it gets when he walked in on that, uh, for that walk in. I was, uh, yeah, I was kind of, uh, sort of even impressed myself by how ballsy he looked given that he's 4-0 down with that. That's, uh, that's uh, some powerful swagger that went for that man. But 5-0 down, storms into the ring, starts kicking off uh, again, typical McGregor fashion, and demands that the round, the third round be instilled, thinks that two-round affairs are nonsense. 
question for you. Is he right? Not necessarily about this fight, but is he right about the Ultimate Fighter in, in general? Because these, especially when it's it's prospects and veterans and these people are up-and-comers and are so desperate to get a UFC contract, is it fair, and I know we touched on it last week, to have these be two-round fights? Why not just have the third round? It doesn't necessarily affect things in terms of scheduling because this isn't live. You can edit things as they do in the show. Why aren't these fights three rounds as a standard? Um, I don't know. I just think it's because uh, normally uh, it's because of the more um, the format that we talked about, that this is a slight movement from is usually they are technically amateur fighters. So they won't be professional fighters. They will be amateurs on the sort of amateur circuits um, and looking to make that move up, which is where they often often come from. So I think some of it comes um, f- from that and from that format obviously doesn't quite fit with the vets and the um, um, the youngsters as they've done it this time. But um, yeah, I just, I mean, it's it's a bit embarrassing at the moment, isn't it? For Gregor, 5-0 down out of eight possible fights, they could be on for a full clean sweep here. Well, he's lost, hasn't he? He's already lost the series. There's no announcement of when um, he is fighting Chandler as of yet. So it's it's all to do with whether Chandler is going to clean sweep him or not. But it's just it's not as entertaining as I thought it'd be, to be honest, in these scenarios. I thought that there might be one or two by this point that McGregor's team would have won, but it, it's just... And I'll be honest with you, the longer it goes, and this has certainly happened a couple of times, I believe. I couldn't tell you the one, the episodes off the top of my head. I'd have to look. But I, I, the longer it goes without an announcement, I could actually see Conor Chandler not happening. I can, um, because of all the stuff that's going on with the sexual assault accusations, etc. Well, with that in particular uh, is one thing. But just generally, you know, they they have done this before where people are supposed to fight and then for whatever reason, the UFC pulls it and puts someone into a different fight, you know, championship opportunity opens up or, or you know, whatever it might be. But the longer it goes without that announcement of when those two are fighting, um, the stranger it becomes. Because as I said to you that, you know, the UFC, I think, I'm not sure what's next. Is it 290 number wise? They're closing in on the 300 and they always, always go big on the cards for the then the uh, centennials, and I can't see any way in the world that McGregor's not on that 300 card, probably with John Jones. Um, so if Connor's going to get a fight in, he needs to do it pretty quickly, or 300's going to be upon us. Yeah. Um, at the end of the fight between Jake Paul and Anderson Silva last October, it's technically boxing, but we'll, we'll, we'll get on to the reason that I'm bringing it up. Both Paul and Spider had agreed to work together to create a fighters association for MMA, uh, a little bit like what we would know as uh, a union in uh, in England. Um, he's now come out and said that it's it's nigh on impossible. Not surprised in the slightest. I mean, there's a, there's a reason that it hasn't been this for ages. There's been this ongoing litigation against the UFC, which part of that they were trying to say there should be a fighters union. So fighters would get be able to set like minimum pay levels down and things like that. And um, I don't profess to fully understand 
unionization in America, you know, similar prospect, obviously, uh, compared to England. But I know there are quite a lot of changes in, in certain industries. You have to be in a, in, a, in a union, for example, and you, you know, you won't get the job unless you are. So it's something that seems quite fashionable, almost in America, unions. Um, and, the you know, most companies fight them. Um, you know, I believe the uh, NFL now has a union, but for years they fought that because they didn't want the the union were asking for things like healthcare for our, our older professionals that have taken all these hits. Uh, obviously, that comes at a cost to them, and they they fought back for as long as they can. So it's not surprising to me in the slightest that the UFC are fighting back and not wanting that because it's going to be bad for business, isn't it? If they suddenly had to implement. Uh, health unlimited healthcare for everyone who's ever fought five fights in the UFC, and you know all these other type of things that would go with sort of union demands. It's going to cost them more money, which takes away from their bottom line. So, end of the day, they're a business, and they're trying to stop something that would cost them money. I don't know why anyone's remotely surprised why it hasn't happened, and why I'd ever be surprised if it did happen. We've got another UFC fight night. This weekend, so it's UFC Fight Night on ESPN 48. Um, heading back to the Apex in Las Vegas, which is always a telltale sign of a pretty abysmal wank event. Yeah, I'm gonna say I would try to put it politely, but wank is probably the best way to describe it. Um, the focus is completely centered on the headliner, it's a middleweight pairing between Sean Strickland and Magomedov. I think that's right. We, we, we're going about, with that. Not a chance of trying to pronounce his, yeah, not saying his first name. Um, but it, it feels like it's a bit of thrown together. It's very quickly coupled together, I suppose, in that sense. Um, a strange one. And I, a little bit about it. Strickland is very stubborn as a fighter for me. A lot of people didn't think he'd be stubborn enough to meet Pereira head on by going forward with his usual style. He did it. And it got dropped. It didn't work out for him. Yeah, <laughs> got dropped well, by a really well, didn't it? Um, he then went on to fight Cannonier uh, in UFC's last fight of, of last year and dropped a narrow decision to him. Magdamadov, born in your favourite country, Dagestan, represents Germany. He looked to be a really solid pickup for the UFC in 2021. He was a standout of the PFL's 2018 season, I believe it was. And he looked like a type of well-rounded vet ready to get straight into the upper tiers of the UFC's middleweight division. In all honesty, since he was picked up in 2021, he has done very little. His performance last year in September against, and again, another buttering of pronunciation because we love to do it on Tapping Up, Dustin Stoltzfus, I believe. You're not going to... Not going to chime in. I'm going to just leave it there, yeah. Um, he, he did quite well, though, and he clipped him repeatedly and knocked him out in 19 seconds. So it looked like, okay, real deal here. Um, I think if he can't come straight out, spark Strickland out immediately, or at least within the first round, he tends to get wilder as the fights go on. Um, Strickland has the type of defensive wrestling that should be able to neutralise any takedowns, which is typically Magomedov's uh, safety side. So if he's struggling at all, that's what he would go for. I think Strickland survives this early onslaught, probably puts together a very boring workmanlike win and wins it by decision. I mean, Strickland is good. I mean, as I say, he has only lost. There's no shame in the guys that have beaten him are all 
you know, real upper tier in terms of, I think he's lost to Izzy. He's say he's definitely lost to, got uh, laid out by Pereira. Um, we're only talking about even on the last one, as much as I think Strickland's pretty good and pretty tough, I can never bet against the Dagestani. So I'm <laughs> ever. going never, uh, ever. So I, 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 I'm going to go uh, Magna Megalov by decision. That's an interesting one. Uh, you're just doing it just because you want to go against me. Because uh, he's Dagestani. <laughs> you know what I think about these people? They're insane to bet. I think you, get, you, you just don't bet against them uh, as people. So he gets my vote on that alone. And what, what are you going then? Uh, did you say Strickland decision? Yeah, decision. Strickland decision. Okay. We shall see. The only thing uh, I did see, though, that has seems to have overtaken uh, the hype and the uh, intrigue for the actual fight is um, Sean Strickland's slightly controversial comments that he made this week. I don't know if you saw saw these. Quote, unquote, slightly. Um, I mean, the, the thing is, he is also, I'm not sticking up for what he said, by the way, for a moment here, I'm giving a bit of uh, an overview. He is almost a, a, a poor man's Chell Sonnen or Kobe Colvington. So he, he, he is known to say things tongue-in-cheek, shall we say, to uh, elicit a reaction, to garner some attention, to cause some problems. So whether he's actually saying these and, you know, means them and is a misogynistic pig, which is obviously one outcome that definitely could be, and I'll, I'll read the quotes in a minute. Two, whether he's saying it slightly to garner some attention and play the heel and let people to think, oh, what a twat you are. So therefore I'm going to watch on Saturday because I want to watch you get knocked out. I don't know. But um, he said, we let women vote. No offence. Think about America prior to voting. They try to ban alcohol. I don't even drink, but I'm not trying to ban alcohol. So what did you did? Um, what you did, man, you let these women come into the workforce now we now we make less money. We got kids raising themselves on top TikTok. We need to go back to like 1942, maybe 1958 after we fucked up the Germans. We need to put women back in the kitchen. Only one man needs to be working. So as a collective man group, we need to elect someone that's going to put women back in the kitchen. One man working, raise the wages and build a fucking wall. I think it would be classed class to see him get absolutely sparked out this weekend now. So uh, he has immediately lit the torch pipe for the general world to hate him and pile in on him, I would have thought, following that. Um, But as I say, whether he is literally a misogynistic cunt or whether he is trying to elicit a reaction or even a little bit of both, um, I don't know. But it doesn't strike me in today's world particularly clever things to say. No, I'm going to say, even if it is to hype up a fight or to go down that whole heel persona that some fighters want to do, it's just a, a stupid thing to say that there's certain topics that you avoid in those. So you'd never be misogynistic, never be racist, never do anything like that, never be homophobic, because if you do, everyone's going to hate you. And it's not a, ah, I'm going to watch it because I want you to lose. It's a, a funny thing. It's just, you're just a complete little prick. So and that cancel culture, out. that's the type of shit that bang, before you know it, fucking Dana has to come out and say, well, like, we, look, we're totally against what you said. Look, we can't justify this. Bang, you get cut. Your fucking sponsors bounce you. 
exactly. you know, it's something saying something fucking crazy like that, that even you say, like you say, even if it is to be a hill is fucking dangerous in today's world. Some breaking news for you, Ian, before we, uh, we continue. I don't know if you've breaking seen this. Breaking news. I don't know if it's, it's popped up quite literally in the last minute. Liverpool have triggered Dominic Sobersly's release clause. Have they uh, now? I did not. Is 70, it 70 mil, isn't it? 70 million euros they'll be spending on him. He is a very good player. He would be another one. I feel like I'm saying this a lot recently. I'm not entirely sure of his best position. I think he could be a 10 in a 4-2-3-1, which I could see us move into. Um, but where he fits in a 4-3-3, don't think he's attacking enough to be uh, on either side. So like a longer term Mo replacement or something like that. And I think he would be relatively attacking. If you had him in a uh, midfield three, you definitely need Fabinho. And I suppose you could say McAllister because the defensive work he does to cover him because he's far more offensively minded. But um, I would be certainly very happy with that as a, as a signing. Very good signing for me. He'll, I think he's he's more attacking, certainly. he. I know he's been played as a winger a few times by Leipzig. I can't see him going on the wing at all for you. It won't make any sense. You can't um, get but, in above Mo, Mo or Diaz. And... No, and then you've got Gakpo as well, if, if you're going down that route. So... He'll be somewhere central, and I think he'll play a little bit further forward than the other two. But I think it's a brilliant signing. I think it's really, really good. It's another signing that, um, despite Liverpool fans hating FSG and saying that you never spend any money, it's another mega money signing. Um, I could only I mean, dream is, of making a £70 million and, and I, The only thing is, again, it goes back, I've said this to you before, and I know your argument to, to this, and it's it's... We don't know the truth behind this, but if we spent seventy-five million, sorry, seventy million on him and fifty-five million on uh, McAllister, then we could have afforded to offer what Bel- uh, Bruce uh, Dortmund wanted for Bellingham. And, <laughs> he struggled to get that out there. Yeah, I, I'm just so infuriated by it that I still just don't know why we didn't. If he Liverpool bid and uh, he said. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you're an English team, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I want to go to Real Madrid where I'm going to win loads more trophies. I totally get it. But how it came across in the media and how I'm aware that we didn't bid for him. And if you don't throw your hat into the ring, it's totally different. Not bidding is not the same as bidding and being told, thanks, look, I'm going to go to the bigger team, which I'd get. But to feel like we didn't bid when we put in then potentially and signed those two feels incredibly frustrating as a Liverpool supporter. You've been incredibly naive for me if you don't think that Liverpool were in talks with his representatives slash agent for a number of months before the Real Madrid deal came about. They will have, as it always happens in football, they'll been trying to tap him up. They will be seeing what he's wanting. As soon as you fail to qualify for the Champions League or as soon as it looks like you're not likely to qualify for the Champions League, you're completely out of the the, the the chase uh, out of the race because there's no way that he would, and I said this to you last season as well, there's no way that he would have gone to a team that wasn't in the Champions League. It would have been a backward step for him. He clearly is on a trajectory higher than any other British player at the moment, um, for me anyway, and he needs to be in the Champions League. As soon as you fail to qualify, you're out of that. I think Liverpool will have been in conversation with him and they will have probably turned around and said, look, don't bother bidding. There's absolutely no point in putting anything formal into place. We're not joining you. 
And, and maybe I'm being naive and that's true. But for, for me as a Liverpool fan, if nothing else, like you want to see your team try. So even if that's what the message what, is, what, what, I'd be like, you... fuck it. But I'd rather then put a bit here that we put a bid in and then he turned us down to go to Real Madrid. There's no that's shame the point. So would someone you, choose. If I'd you saw a tweet, public. so if you saw a tweet saying that you'd put a bid in, you'd be happy. As simple as that. I'd feel happier than I feel now because at least we've tried and, and we've been not back. But just There's no way that you try. know that you, you haven't tried. It's just we, uh, there isn't, I, I think it, that they haven't. The, the, it's the type of thing you would have thought from a Liverpool fan they would put in the media because Liverpool fans were so wanted that. He had that close relationship, it seemed, with Henderson. You know Henderson would have been chatting to him and trying to convince him to come. Like you say, I, I'm not naive in that respect, but for me, there's a big difference between being told, no, I'm going to go to a better team, which I can understand and I'd have no issue with, than, ah, we won't bother. Is it a good look for a club to come out and say, yeah, we we really wanted this player, but he told us to fuck off? Well, when he... No, no, I would normally agree with you totally, but when it's a player as high a calibre as that, there is no shame in that. Like Liverpool, again, you have to be realistic that someone wanting to go to Real Madrid with the team that they are building and the young players they've got, I'd probably want to do that. I wouldn't because I'm a Liverpool fan. But do you know any other player would probably do the same. So I, I don't personally feel that there's any shame if we bid and he just said, look, really appreciate the, it, it, but I'm, I'm going to Real Madrid. I want to win more. I think I want to play with Vinicus and Valverde. And you know, Cool. I'm down with that. I, I, I could take that better than not bidding at all. So if you found out that Liverpool had put in a really shitty bid for Mbappe and Mbappe said, no, not a chance, I'm off to Madrid instead this summer, would that exactly please you that, more than yeah. not putting a bid in? That would really? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because I'd rather be turned down than not try. You don't, if you, don't, if you don't shoot, you don't score. You never know. We might be able to convince him. So you might... <laughs> if, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to. Put, you've at least got to put the bid in. If you don't know, you don't, if you don't try, you don't know, do you? So I'll tell you what, let... if I don't see that Leeds put a bid in for Messi next season, I am going to be livid because I think we can convince him. Yeah, but that's just being stupid, isn't it? No, you're just it's being the stupid. same. It's, just it's unrealistic. not. But when it's someone that you've been linked with and you know there's been talks of it, it's different. It's not just a random person. So, but, you know. We'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on before you have an aneurysm. We'll, 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 we'll skip it. it. It would be a good sign in if we get him. Um, and one we'll see how that one progresses because usually they can be moved pretty quickly. You often find personal it's terms might medicals. already be agreed. Yeah, so, they are. It yeah. says big fabs. Uh, Fabrizio has said personal terms agreed, medical. Ah, uh, right. Well, that's it. That's Here un- we go. Un- undeniable, yeah. then, if we've had it from Fat Fab. There you go. Um, I just wanted to do a quick deep dive because they're, they're in the, the media a lot and they're certainly making waves in this transfer window. Uh, and that's Arsenal. Um, Arsenal next season are a very interesting proposition with the players that they've been linked with, the players that look very, very like to sign for them at this point in time. And they've made a lot of moves, as I say, in this particular transfer market. They've completed uh, a couple of days ago the signing of Kai Havertz for £65 million. They've made a record £105 million bid for West Ham's Declan Rice, which looks almost certain to go through because City have pulled out of that and there's certainly no one that's going to come in and rival that bid now. Uh, Mikel Arteta has said last week that he needed to strengthen his squad if he feels that they're going to win the Premier League next season. I think that's a very important point that we'll, we'll come back to. They were eight points clear at one point, and a lot of people thought they were going to go on, apart from us, because we rightfully called that they would fall. 
uh, and they would falter at the end. They ended up finishing five points behind City, who obviously went on to win the treble. As well as Havertz and Rice, they've made a £30 million bid for Ajax defender Timber, who that's not going to be accepted, but I'm sure they'll go back into it. I'm sure there'll be negotiations and I'm sure they'll end up signing him as well. Um, I just wanted to look at the players that they've signed and their chances of doing as Mikel Arteta has put into the media's eye and winning the league next season. So Havertz, he never really lived up to Chelsea's expectations. He obviously did fantastically at Leverkusen. He made a £71 million switch to Chelsea, scoring 32 goals in 139 games. Most famous goal, obviously, being the Champions League winning goal against City in 2021. Realistically, he's not what many people would have expected Arsenal to have gone for this season, in my opinion. I think he's a very good player on his day, still young, still develop, and we'll still see how he, he goes into that squad. You've got Declan Rice. There's an expectation that Xhaka and Party will both move on. Xhaka looks almost certain to move on, and I think Party will follow. Obviously, on a separate note, there's a lot of allegations that have allegedly been made against Partey, and I think it, it seems like that might have influenced a decision for him to move on this summer. So we'll see. Party and Jorginho, after obviously moving from Chelsea last January, were Arsenal's defensive midfielders last season. They made more successful passes and touched the ball more than Rice, but you've got to take into account the fact that West Ham won was 11 games last season and Arsenal went and won 26 games. So the clear differences in the, the squad capability and the calibre as well. And Rice won the ball more times than both of them, created more chances than both of them and had a slightly better passing accuracy than both of them as well. So put him into a team that looks as good as Arsenal last season. It'll be very interesting to see. And then finally, you've got Timber, who it's been quite made quite clear that he's on Arsenal's wish list. He is a ball-playing defender. He is a very good ball-playing defender. I know that you were linked to him as well, Liverpool linked to him. I think he would do very, very well in the Premier League. He's only 20, 20, uh, 22, came through the Ajax youth system, which everyone knows is, is absolutely fantastic. Ajax will almost certainly make probably 40, 50 million from Arsenal on this. Um, I'd be interested to see where they play him because he's predominantly a centre-back. He can play at right-back a little bit like Ben White. I can't imagine if you're spending that much money, you're not going to put him straight in at centre-back. But it'll be interesting to see who the, part, uh, the, the pairing um, alongside him will be. And I've also seen that they still apparently want Caicedo. So I was looking at, I think he said that BBC Sport had said that even if they sign Declan Rice they might still go for him. And I personally think it would be overkill. I think you're going to have to make sure that you've got no other midfielders there um, other than the ones that they're buying because you're overloading with some very high-value members of your squad there and you're not going to be able to keep both happy. If they do, can you see them going on to win the league or are we still saying that City are far and above the best team in the league and, and no one's going to take that from them? Yeah, personally, I think the city is still still beating me. Even if you added that quality in, um, I mean, a few comments on a few of the things just that you said. Um, Havertz, like him, did as you say exceptionally well at Leverkusen. Never been sure of his best position. Um, for me, he's one of those weird. But he's definitely not a false nine like Chelsea used to play him. Um, I, I think personally, he works best as a ten in a four-two-three-one. Uh, and interestingly, you could say that if you got Declan Rice coming in, 
um, and he, he would definitely occupy uh, one of the the, uh, the two midfield holding roles. You could then go Odegaard potentially with him uh, in that to have a bit more industry in there as well. And then you could that still got plenty of space in, in the three across the uh, then uh, the front. You know, you can fit in your, your Sacco's, your Martinelli's, etc. Now, you could also argue, you said, said about Calcedo, would there be a better two in terms of a double pivot than Calcedo and Rice? That's fucking about as solid as it gets. Um, Timber, uh, I really like. I think he's real quality. The only concern I would have with him going to Arsenal and if he was going to be immediate starter would be um, that is a very, even though they're, they're both young and they've played a fair few games, there's not much experience then in that centre-back pairing if you're looking at Timber and uh, Saliba. Both very young. You're both talking, you know, 21, 22 even though they've been playing for three or four seasons, there's not a lot of experience there. So that, that would be a, a slight worry for me if they did get Timber and, and he was to go straight into the team. Um, I certainly think Timber is a better right-back than Ben White, who'd been playing there for a while. So I think you could argue keep it with Saliba and Gabriel at the back and then put Timber right back. Um, a few other bits and pieces just to touch upon in terms of transfers. You alerted to me uh, alerted me to this. I didn't have a Scooby-Doo that it was happening. Besiktas apparently after Coutinho on loan. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what a fall from grace. I mean, when he was at us, obviously uh, amazing. I think still the third highest transfer in the fee in the world, 142 mil when he went to, to Barca and just... The decline in him from 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 Barca to even Villa, he showed he'd started to, when he first came back to Villa. He, he showed a, a few flashes, but I mean, we used to get that every game from him. And uh, I'm telling you, apart from him and probably Eden Hazard, I can't think of two players that have ever had such a fall off in quality than them. From how high, you know, genuine world class level that they're operating at to being bit part players and can't even get in any game time. And when they do play their shit, it's crazy. I mean, you've got to look at it that you did quite well to get the money that you got from Barca at I the time. Did. I yeah. never, wouldn't turn it back. It turned back time. And, and again, we, we talked about this before. That money was then used to buy Alisson and Van Dyke, which laid the cornerstone for what we've gone on to build now. So it was the best thing at the time by a mile. Um, you know, and you, you actually, as a Liverpool fan, as much as I was gutted to see him go, you thank Coutinho for going to like, give us what we got to, you know, to spend that money on for those two. So, um, but I, I find it really sad just for someone who was that good and just every game so influential to not even be able to get, get a game for Villa and possibly go into Turkey. Just a bit sad, uh, say, just a sad fall from grace, really, for me. Harry Kane to Munich. Can you see that going? Because they look quite, they're pretty desperate to get him. I, I couldn't, and I, I've been keep saying to you, I, I think Kane wants to stay in England in order to get the record from Shearer, if he can. They, they say you know a couple more seasons uh, in the Premier League, and he might well end up taking that. And then you know, not only is he Tottenham's greatest ever goal scorer, he's the Premier League's greatest ever goal scorer, which is a pretty sweet feather to have in your cap. But I saw his, I'd read a couple of things that over the last few days, his mindset has changed. I think they bid 60 million originally and then plus add-ons and that was rejected. And then I believe they've also now made a second bid. I'm not sure on the status of that. I've got a list of 80 million plus add-ons 
Uh, I haven't seen Fabrizio saying it's go or whatever the fuck he says. So I'm guessing that's definitely not on. And knowing Levy is going to hold out for closer to 100. But it sounds from what I've read over the last few days that Kane might be becoming more persuaded. And maybe he's taken the view that you've said about wanting to go somewhere and for the last three seasons of it, four seasons of his career, just win the treble every year instead of catch up on his, his trophy count that he has of uh, zero with Spurs. I'm going to say, I, I still stick by the fact that a player of his quality, and he is one of the best English strikers of all time. I think it's very difficult to argue with that. He needs to have some form of silverware. He has been outstanding for just about all of his career. If Even if he breaks the Premier League record for goals scored, that's not anywhere near the same as winning a title in Germany and winning uh, a cup in Germany. In Even if you were going to PSG, something like that, and you were winning the league with PSG, it's fairly simple and it's expected, but he needs something in that trophy cabinet. I'm not having a player of his status not finish his career with something there. And if he doesn't move, I might give him a bell. I might ring him up and be like, Harry, lad, come on. Well, okay, get over to big team. Put it, I'll put it, let's put it this way then. What about he stays at Spurs his whole career he doesn't win a trophy, but he becomes the Premier League's greatest ever goal scorer. Is that not no. an accolade in itself? No. No. Being the person that scored the most goals in the highest league of the best five leagues is not enough. Not even slightly. It's not a trophy, you, is it? You'd rather one league title than that. 100%. I'd rather That's do what Calvin Phillips has just, uh, just done, do absolutely nothing and be known as a treble winner for the rest of my life than get a, an, an accolade like that. Because that accolade isn't silver. One year. Like, to be the greatest goal scorer of our whole league takes time. 10, 13, 14, 15 years in that league. You can't say you'd swap. That's Easily. I, I find that incredible. I'd take what, that accolade that he could get personally than one league title. Now, if you were saying go to Munich, and let's say Munich, most years they do the double, they're in with a chance of the Champions League, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You could go there for three or four years and suddenly win 10 trophies. Now, that's a bit different because that is a lot. But for me, one trophy, one league, or being the greatest ever goal scorer in a league, they're not even comparable. Easily. I, without a shadow of a doubt, as I say, I would do nothing for a career if it got me... Champions League medal, Premier League medal and a cup like Calvin Phillips has got this season. I don't see how an accolade of scoring the most goals makes you a better player than someone who has won a significant amount while scoring less goals, for example. So you look at other strikers, um, you know, Benzema, for example, has won a significant amount. He'll go down as one of the best of all time. Um Ronaldo hasn't necessarily got the accolades in a certain league, but will go down as the best of all time. Messi, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can go on and on and on. He needs to win something. He absolutely does. And that was the argument with Messi about the World Cup. And it has always been that argument. And then he did win. And then he's inarguably or arguably the, the greatest of all time. So I still think he needs to win some trophies. And I think this would be the right move for his career personally. And he can always come back to the Premier League in a few years' time. Is not of the age that it would just halt in two years. No, no, but um, yeah, I mean, they're not going to sign him, pay all that money and sign him on a two-year deal, are they? It's going to probably be a four-year deal. 
Um, you know, he might stay there for four years, tear it up, get all those trophies, like we say, and then he'd come back at what, 35-ish then? He could still maybe make a play for, for being, you know, a couple of years trying to get the 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 the, the title. So he could maybe try and have the best of both worlds. But um, yeah, no, no confirmation though on that one as yet and whether or not um, Munich will be going back with a third bid. Um, Pau Torres to Villa. I am very, very impressed with this because I think he's one of the best centre-backs in the world at the moment and Monchi is making waves. I think it might be, the you could even argue, the signing of the summer, I would go as far to say so far. I think Pau Torres is absolutely amazing. Um, he's been superb for Villarreal for years and it's been talked about for, for a while. He's been linked with you know almost every big team and for some reason necessarily didn't seem to go. I think he had a high release clause, if I'm not mistaken, that sort of um, lowered uh, and has got down to that he had a year left. So uh, Villa have been able to trigger it. But uh, I would agree with you. And uh, I've got a little question for you. Um, Seeing as I would also say he is one of the top five centre-backs in the league. Who are the top five centre-backs in the league? Um, You go first. I'll let you... You've answer, uh, asked the question, so you can answer it first. So I can get by a bit more time. I've gone, exactly. and this is based on, I suppose, what I would class as overall quality as well as form factored into there as well. I've gone in no particular order, by the way. I'm just saying my fives, so don't start minging before you start. <laughs> uh, Virgil van Dijk. Oh, what a shock. Ruben Diaz. Saliba. Pau Torres. And... Martin, Lissandro Martinez. Yeah, I can't really argue with the majority of those. Would you still take Van Dijk now, even though he has essentially just fallen off, a, or his form has fallen off a cliff? Yeah, he's still one of the best. He's, he, he didn't have the best season. He is, he's definitely not quite the same since his knee injury, I think, but you still got to put him in. I don't think you can put him not in the top five even if he was coming in fifth out of those, but he's got to be in top five for me. I'm just trying to think now, so mad. Um, Gabriel, I thought he was outstanding last season. For Arsenal? Yeah. Martinez. Uh, Fabian Shah. <laughs> no, Botman over Shah, personally. Um, Diaz, of course try to think of someone else I can give it to other than Van Dyke. James Tarkovsky. Crazy talk. <laughs> um, no, I'll be honest with you. Uh, what's his name? Chat from Newcastle. Botman, you could definitely, but Botman would be definitely there or thereabouts. He's definitely in with a shout of being in that top five. Um, and if you were being super brutal and knocking Virgil out, probably Botman might be the one you put in. Speaking of Everton, though, sticking on that one, Seamus Coleman has signed a new one-year deal with Everton. Uh, he, of course, scored that goal against Leeds last season, which pretty much secured their safety. Excellent which... goalkeeping, if I remember oh, rightly. Outstanding. A £40 million goalkeeper, a £40 million goalkeeper, I'll have you know, that no one wants to pay any money whatsoever for, and it isn't interesting. But, yeah, um, a fantastic servant to the club. Oh, I mean, it will take him into his 15th year with the club. Again, sadly, I can still remember, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Everton bought him from Wigan. And I'm pretty sure he played for Wigan for 
probably two or three seasons, if not maybe a bit longer, he was in the team as a right youngster. So to be doing, uh, having another club and 15 years with Everton is outstanding. And for a large chunk of that, as much as I've always hated him, he has he has to go down as easily one of the best right backs in the Premier League history. When you're talking yeah. about like those, you know, Gary Neville's top five ever. Coleman, I think as much as I hate to say it as Everton, has to be in there. You know, is that his assists, his goals, what he gave the team, and his his effort up and down the flank for all those years. Um, been a superb servant. Absolutely. Very quickly, and well, I say very quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on him because it's a Manchester United player now, unfortunately. But Mason Mount. So Mason Mount has agreed a deal to move to Manchester United. Fifty-five million plus five million in add-ons from Chelsea. He has been. Fairly important player for Chelsea ever since breaking through, thanks to big Frankie uh, Frankie Lampard. He obviously did uh, quite well at Derby, and then upon returning back to Chelsea, he then had a, a set of outstanding seasons. He very versatile midfielder. He is capable of operating as a number ten, um, slightly on the wing. He's also operated as a false nine. Seems to have got the Havertz treatment a little bit, so a little bit like you were saying earlier on. No one really knows his best position. I think that's pretty similar in terms of um, the exact same about Mason Mount, really. I am a bit confused about why Man United are buying him and why Man United have seemed so strong in their pursuit of him. He obviously could be an option behind uh, a front three or a, a central striker. But at the moment, Man United have got Bruno Fernandes. They've got Ganacho, they've got Sancho, they've got Anthony, they've got Ericsson. So it's not as though Ten Hag is struggling for people in that particular role. Um, Van de Beek, don't remember. Paul Barston never gets a game. Oh, Quality God. player in the similar. Um, I completely forgot about him. Uh, Rashford, of course, can play in that three if um, Man United go and sign a, a striker this summer, which is what they uh, apparently are after. Um Apparently, Ten Hag really values Mount's versatility, which is why he really wants him, but views him primarily as an attacking midfielder, which then in turn puts him in direct competition with Ericsson, which is an interesting point because Ericsson did very, very well for Man United initially, but then faded, I think, a little bit in, in the latter half of the season. And he certainly doesn't get back, uh, track back and, and defend as well as Mount does. The positive for them signing Mount is that Kristen Eriksen isn't going to be required to play as often. You can then interchange the two so he can have a, a rest. And if he doesn't have the sustained impact that he did in the first season for, for Manchester United, he can be dropped to the bench. Mason Mount can be put on. But if Ten Hag is continuing to operate with three attacking players behind central striker, Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes are pretty much undroppable at this point in time. It places question marks then over Sancho and Anthony, who obviously cost, what, about £150 million between them. So it, it's a very strange signing. I don't think we'll get the answers to the questions that I'm asking until next season when we see where he fits in. But it, I'm very intrigued by it. Yeah, no, no, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think he's a wide player on a on a three like that. Like you said, I think I'd agree with you that Rashford and the central sort of uh, Fernandez would be uh, undroppable. So you're looking basically then playing him off the left because uh, Rashford plays on the right. Um and I uh, kind of agree with you, um, to be honest with you. But does he play a bit deeper? Is it a longer-term 
move for Ericsson, knowing that Ericsson is coming towards the end of his career, or at least, you know, getting older, that maybe they're doing it for a bit of longevity as well, maybe. But um, yeah, I I think you're right. We probably won't find out until a few games into the season where he's going to be playing. Just wanted to touch on some EFL news because I'm an EFL club now, or a supporter of an EFL club. So I thought I'll, uh, I'll venture into the lower leagues. Have you seen anything about Chef Wednesday recently? We've touched on Darren Moore leaving the club, apparently on mutual grounds. Have you seen the statement that's been released by the owner, Chancery? I have not. I've got no idea about this whatsoever. So we covered that Darren Moore had left Chef Wednesday by mutual consent. It was about 47 days, I think, after, or sorry, ahead of the, the championship season. He did very, very well with Chef Wednesday in League One took them to back to the championship with a playoff win over Barnsley. Chancery has come out, despite the fact that it was a, a mutual exit and there was no bad blood between them, but Chancery has come out, clearly thinking that ah, I'm getting slagged off here, I'm not having this, and has said that Darren Moore actually left the club after asking for a contract four times bigger than his existing one. Um, Darren Moore said, look, I, I, he's apparently come out to the press and said, I'm not willing to engage in this. I'm not going to give a statement. Um, I'm not doing a back and forth debate with uh, Chancery because I respect Chef Wednesday too much. And I, I commend that. But Chancery released a statement saying, and I'll, I'll snip this, so I won't go into too much detail about it. But I told Darren I was happy for him to stay. He achieved promotion, deserved a chance in the championship. I said I was happy to increase salary and add more bonuses into contract with the highest bonus if we reach the Premier League. So very realistic um, targets this season, clearly. So the proposal, a proposal Darren presented was significantly in excess of the contract that he currently had. And I said, I cannot offer a minimum of four times your current salary on a three-year contract. I have to be realistic and protect the club. Now, that that right there is the biggest Chilino comment I've heard from a, an owner in a number of years. Protect the club by getting rid of the manager that's done fantastically well for your club and got you back to the championship. What? I mean, again, I suppose context, we don't know the exact amount, so be interested, you know, is he asking for, let's pluck up an example, maybe he was on 200 grand a year, and is he asking for 800? That is a pretty big jump. Most of us in the real world, if we went into our boss and said, uh, yeah, I want a four times pay rise, second word's going to be fuck off, or two words is going to be fuck off. <laughs> the second word's going to be uh, fuck off. The second word's going to be off. Do you, do you know what I mean? That's not going to happen a lot of times. But equally, football's a different kettle of fish. He's got them promoted. He's got them, you know, infinitely millions more in terms of the league membership. The cut of the revenue of the EFL will be higher than it will in League One. So all of those things. So, you know, there's certainly an argument he deserves a substantial bump. But I think I would, I'd be interested to know on what he was on and what he asked for. What that time four times is a lot in anyone's book, but the you know, is it 200 to 800? Was he on 400 and therefore wanted 1.6? You know, the context makes a lot of difference, I would say. So, I'd be interested to see if that comes out. Boxing this weekend, interested in it at all? Savannah Marshall, uh, Cruz Desern, undisputed. It's a bit shitty for me. Um, uh, obviously, like Savannah Marshall, big fan, uh, disappointing to watch her uh, lose a title uh, as against uh, Clarissa Rich Shields um, a few months back when it was. 
but I think it is more of a reflection on this, the current state of women's boxing. And what I mean by that is that there's not enough challengers in general. There's not enough professional female boxers, uh, you know, at a high level for her to get uh, another fight. So she's gone from being losing her undisputed titles to fighting for the undisputed titles, which kind of feels getting that fight opportunity off a loss to me feels a bit bullshit. But as I say, I, I put that down to more the fact that women's boxing purely in numbers of professional fighters is so significantly smaller, sadly, than the than male boxing. Um, there are two or three stars in there. In, you know, Shields uh, and Marshall being two of the main ones with, you know, Katie Taylor, that they might as well do this to make the money in order to try and attract the viewers. So it kind of feels like a bit catch-22 for me. I think it's bullshit as a, as, a, as a competitive angle, but from a business angle and what they're doing because of a lack of challenges, I totally get it. No, I, I can't disagree. She obviously lost her WBO middleweight title against... Clarissa Shields, she was fighting to be undisputed. It does seem completely backwards that you can go from fighting to be an undisputed champion to lose to then have your next fight in a different weight class to be fighting for the undisputed championship of that class. Um, this is a really weird one for me because if you watch any, if you don't know anything about these fighters and you watch these fighters in the press conference, you would think that Cruz Desern is very, very skilled in that she is probably better, if not on the same level or as, as Marshall and people will go back and forth from that. Marshall's a heavy favorite for this, a, a very, very heavy favorite. I think I've seen odds of one to five odds on. Um, she has previously beaten Cruz's urn in amateur boxing. Both boxers only have one loss on their records, ironically, both against Clarissa Shields. But as I say, Marshall is a heavy favorite. I think despite the fact that she underperformed against Shields, in the previous fight that she lost. She's got the tools to return to the ring. She can deploy her long jab um, as long as she keeps that in check and as long as the, the rights have been wronged or the wrongs have been righted, righted sorry, in the um, time between her last fight and this one. It's hard for me to say away that she doesn't come out of this fight as the undisputed champion. And, and as I say, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. If you've got Marshall as an undisputed champion and then you've got Clarissa Shields, an undisputed champion. Do we see her drop weight again and, and say, right, it's undisputed versus undisputed, which would, as you say, garner quite a bit of publicity for the sport again? Um, I don't or know. Or you get Shields to go up, Shields to drop her title and go up to, to take on and try and take her undisputed titles to be another weight for, uh, you know, in terms of another accolade for Shields. It does definitely open it up. I just, just pulled up the odds now. Um, Savannah Marshall is 1.22. So that is somewhere just between um, four to one and five to one on. So she's a very heavy favourite. Do you know what else is a heavy favourite? Tyson Fury's next move not to be a game changer, despite what him and, and Frank Warren are saying. He hasn't boxed yet in 2023. Uh, both him and Frank Warren have insisted... Hasn't talked a word of fucking sense in 2023, <laughs> has he? Let alone boxed. Well, they're both insisting that the next move and next fight will be a serious game changer, quote-unquote. Um, he's obviously the WBC heavyweight champion at this point in time. He hasn't boxed since fighting Derek Chisora, which we watched at our Christmas party. That's how long ago that is. 
Um, you're certain that this is going to be Engano. Maybe I'm getting suckered in and the usual hyperbole and it's going to be total bullshit. But I feel like if they try it, these days it is easy to, again, I'm back, I'm, I'm old school. So when someone says something like, this is going to be a game changer, I tend to take that at face value. So I'm like, this is going to be some big shit. And if it's not fucking Usyk, which we know it's not going to be, the next big shit really for me would be Nganu. And I think Nganu makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways in that I still think Nganu fighting Chisora would make the most sense. But if you're Nganu, taking on Fury, he's going to get himself suddenly a bigger payday than it, than he's ever got in his whole career put together. Probably get 15 mil for that. Fury gets to fight a guy that looks scary as fuck and kind of almost, you know, it's almost like a scene out of Rocky, isn't it? A fat old dad bod dude against some chiseled Goliath fucking who could be in Predator and Tyson Fury will, Fury will box the shit out of him because it's his first his first fight. So if 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 we'd, if I'm actually taking it at face value, it's a game changer. That's what it feels like it should be for me. The announcement should be in Ghana. The problem is, you've just put into my head, I don't want to see Tyson Fury versus Ngannou now. I want to see Ngannou versus Predator. I feel like that would be a miles better fight. I've, I'll tell you what, I, I, t- I still might have some money on Ngannou. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, well, speaking of films, what about The Terminator? Big fan of The Terminator? Uh, a massive fan of The Terminator. How okay, can you not so- be? So Joe Joyce came out um, pretending to be the Terminator in the last fight that he had. The juggernaut gets absolutely steamrolled by Big Gile, Big Bang Zhang, my favourite nickname in all boxing. Stops him back in April after the... I still picture his damaged eye. Absolutely punished throughout the fight. Jabbed his face off, didn't he? (laughs) Brilliant. The same left jab. Um, He... It has invoked the rematch clause, so they're going into a, an immediate rematch. He thinks that if he beats Yang and wins back his, and this is the funny part of boxing, WBO interim heavyweight championship of the world, he will then become mandatory for the WBO heavyweight world championship, which, of course, Alexander Usyk holds at the moment, along with the WBA and IBF titles. He's fighting Dubois in August, a fight that no one wants to see. So maybe if Joyce wins this, You'll see, uh, and obviously Usyk beats Dubois, you'll see them fight next year, if not at at, um, the Saudi event in December that's heavily rumoured. I just want to quote again, because I always love these quotes, especially when it comes to boxing, and especially when you're coming off the back of a loss, and quite a significant loss. This is Joe Joyce. It's a brave, risky decision to take the rematch. Once, if or when I beat Zhang, I get the interim title back in time for when the mandatories get called. First fight, it looked terrible. I got my eye all bruised up and beaten, but I thought I was still in the fight. I was landing a lot of shots. In the latter rounds, it could have been a different story. He, meaning Zhang, was beginning to start taking backward steps. Now, we watched that fight. He obviously watched a completely different fight to me because not once did Zhang take a backward step in that fight. He quite literally just kept walking forward and just punching him. And Zhang literally had a free target. Joe Joyce looked like Homer Simpson in the episode where Homer Simpson fights Mike Tyson. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm not that interested. If I'm honest, I think it's a pretty silly move from Joyce. I think it will go exactly the same way the first fight went. I think there's some times that you just have to have 
an appreciation that somebody's size and um, match-up for you is not ideal and they've got your number. And it just felt the way that, that, that Zhang dealt with him and just literally used his size, jabbed his face off. Joyce, because he, he's going to keep walking, he's going to keep walking into that. Just feels like he's got his number, like some of the, the UFC fights you've seen where there's been, um, you know, um, Moreno, Figueroa. You'd say, all right, uh, you know, the quadrilogy on that, um, you know, ended relatively conclusively. You'd, Usyk you'd say, Joshua is another one. Um, Usyk, do, yeah, do you know what I mean? There's sometimes just the feeling that someone's got their number. And I, I think Big Bang Zhang's got Joyce's number, if I'm honest. So I think it goes exactly the same way. I'm happy for him to have loads of fights that we talk about just so we can say his nickname. It's just what an incredible boxing nickname that is. I realised uh, that how childish you actually are when I just then caught myself saying Big Bang Zhang and you're just cracking up on the side. <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Super Mr. Professional over there. Final thing then. And I told you that there's a little bit of a surprise at the end. I want you to predict. Which concerned me. Really concerned me. You told me there was going to be a happy ending. And I was like, hey, I don't know where the fuck. I'm glad I'm doing this remotely because I don't want to be sat next to you if that's the case. Well, we'll go on the Otley run and and you might end up getting one. Um, You've got to predict this particular, this matchup for me. Everyone's going to be wanting to know the winner of this. It's happening this weekend. Are you ready? I'm ready. Who is going to win between... Shinsuke Nakamura, Ricochet, Butch, Santos Escobar, LA Knight, Damian Priest, and Logan Paul. So uh, the only one I even know is Logan Paul. So what? 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 What are they, What's who, what's going to win in what competition? Are they? So involved who, who in? is who is going to climb to the top of the ladder and claim the briefcase? For a title shot. Oh, so this is wrestling. <laughs> this is that super ma- masculine, not pretend sport of wrestling, is it? This is the men's money in the bank ladder match. So are the other people apart that I've not even heard of, apart from Jake Paul, uh, um, Logan Paul, more worrying professional wrestlers, or are they just YouTubers as well? No, they're all professional wrestlers. Logan Paul was signed with the WWE, so. No, I heard that. I knew that, but the others I'd never heard of. I was, I was thinking, is, this, is that the, the WWE just putting on some, let's get all these fucking twattish YouTubers on for a ladder match, but the others are all, I've never heard of a single one of those professional wrestlers. They are wrestlers. indeed. LA Knight is the megastar, and uh, I think he'll I think he'll take it. It's in London. Oh, is it in London? No, it is in London, yeah. Yeah, because you said you were really wanting to go, didn't you, Egan? Yeah, I, I did want to go. It'd be a right laugh. The child in me would have wanted to see that. No John Cena, no Undertaker, no Triple H, none of that. But yeah, um, I'm going to accept your prediction as LA Knight is going to win. Uh, I'll, 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 I've got no, no nothing in the game. And do you know what? What wouldn't surprise yeah. me if Logan? What about Logan Paul? Surely, if he's, if he's just putting that random twat in, he's surely not going to win. So that does that mean that he not gets to come back to defend it or some stupid shit? Whoa, you don't defend the money in the bank, like. You become okay. Mr. Money in the Bank. You can cash in your title shot at any point, any time, any place. The champion could be on his back. He could have just been through right, a Okay, so it's not going to be Logan Paul then because they surely <laughs> can't be putting Logan Paul in against the champ. I didn't realise this. See, I, I'm not I'm not familiar with these wrestling terms of money in the bank. And I know what a ladder match is. I knew that shit, but I didn't know that you got to cash basically cash in a title shot. So can you just say, hey, hey, motherfucker, I want it now. And then Literally. the champ out. Yeah, 
the champ because that be ever happened has that ever all the happened? time the first all money right. in the bank was uh so not John set Cena. up at all then <laughs> it's, it's I'll just say it happens we've got the fucking champ here fucking hell and he's in his wrestling gear ready to come out well, no, it's not normally, scripted at all normally what would happen is the champion would have been in like a grueling long match first one was John Cena in 2006 in the elimination chamber he goes through against six other people or four, five other people sorry fantastic match does really well he's busted open Edge the first ever winner of the Money in the Bank ladder match comes out cashes it in and then wins a the title, and then he goes on to have a live sex show on one of the following nights. But it's all real. You're no, amazed I, by you that know, knowledge, aren't you? I, 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 just, the geekiness blew me away, but the fact I thought I'd managed to change you for the better, that I turned you away from this pretend bullshit sport into watching actual fighting and got you into the UFC and MMA, but it appears that gimpish trait to want to go back to pretend... And hanging on to your youth when wrestling mattered. Because I remember I liked wrestling when I was a kid, when I was told it was real. Uh, um, but, yeah, not interested. But I'll go with your prediction, if you, that's what you say. What do you mean? It's not real. Who is the, out of curiosity then, so who is the champ that whoever gets to cash his check, whatever, or cash his, check. <laughs> cash his uh, title check-in, who would he be fighting? There are two champions at the moment. There is Roman Reigns who has been in the Fast and Furious films. He was in Fast... How do you get two eight? champions, by the way? Is that the Intercontinental and the Hang champion? on a minute. The Intercontinental and the United States champions, they're not on the same level. They're mid-card titles. They're not okay. the world My... titles. Okay. Oh. So what are, the, what are the two world titles then? I thought there was just one so, world title. No, there have always been two world titles. What? Well, has since, it? like, the brand split in early... 2000s yeah so it's been like i, I was wrestling in the mid in the in the early to mid 90s when i was a very small did. child and there was a very Hogan. small child you're about like, 14, yeah only, only yeah i was probably fucking nine watching that <laughs> shit because i used to like it before i realized how made up and bullshit it was but um well you're I'm breaking sure my heart ian i'll be honest so I what feel are the like two titles a... spit out i'm guessing there's a world heavyweight champion and what's the other title I believe it's now the WWE World Heavyweight title, and it used to be the Universal title, but they have put the Universal and WWE titles together, so I think it's the WWE Undisputed Champion, although don't quote me on that. So there's a heavyweight champion and an undisputed champion. That doesn't yeah, make any there, sense. There has been... There's all, for years, it's been the WWE Champion and the World Heavyweight Champion. Then it went into one... And then they split again. So it was the Universal Champion and the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. And then the guy won both, which is Roman Reigns, who was in Fast and Furious. And then they've just introduced a new title quite recently. Okay. I was just going to say, you can't have Heavyweight Champion and Undisputed Champion because that's totally against the whole point. But that wouldn't surprise me in wrestling because it's Give shit. Vince McMahon a call then. And you tell him that. He's I'll built what, a multi- that... multi-million empire. Billion Empire, and I wouldn't want to tell him in it because I'm sure that motherfucker would get roid rage and rip my head off. Even at 80, that man is ridiculously jacked. Well, I'm going to call the end of this podcast because you're breaking my heart. You're ruining wrestling for me. It is real. My dad said it's real, so it is. So About as real as the Otley run. <laughs> which, which can get pretty real, I assure you. That shit gets real, but... Um... <laughs> Well, enjoy the wrestling tomorrow then. I hope whoever you really want to win wins your fake shit wins. And um, 
Yeah. I'll, I'll be desperately texting you for updates throughout the day to find out how, how this match is going. I'll let you know. Don't you worry. I'll let everyone know next week. Everyone listening now, you you tune in next week and I might be Mr. Money in the Bank. But <laughs> as always, everyone, thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you next time.